0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to She Leads Her Life podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Schneider, and I'm so looking forward to having our amazing guest on today. Her name is Leah Bowden, and many of us are faced with our kids not going back to school in the fall. And so I thought I would have her on, her expertise in homeschooling and Charlotte Mason philosophies. And I know you are just going to love, her spirit, and everything that she has to say today. So welcome to the podcast, Leah, and could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Hi, Jenna and listeners. So great to be here. My name's Leah,
1: and as you can hear from accent, I am English. I live right in the middle of the UK, uh, pretty close to Stratford-upon-Avon. I'm here with my, uh, well, not here currently, but live here with my husband, and we have four children. Uh, Our oldest is coming up for 18 and they range down to my youngest is nine. We have two boys, two girls. And um, we have been, uh, I think we're in our about 14th year. Once you get past a decade, you start to forget. But I think we're in our 14th year of home educating our children. And um, my husband and I are also involved with the uh, leadership of a local church. So our lives are very much people-filled. But I have given a lot of my time over, after home educating, for about seven years, I started to share my story a little bit online, Um, when Periscope, if people remember that, uh, started to do some live videos, and which opened up a whole new world for me, really, of sharing our journey in our story. Um, So I currently speak and write for Wild and Free. Um, I am the creator of something called Modern Miss Mason which is kind of coaching and courses and really my heart is to encourage uh, not to tell you what to do but to encourage other parents in their home educating journey and create a place of freedom for people that's that's really what um, why I want my voice out there hopefully that's what it does
0: Mm, thank you so much for sharing that If you could go back to the beginning of your home educating journey, how did you come in to the home educating arena? Did you always knew you wanted to home educate your children and how did you dive into the Charlotte Mason philosophy?
1: So um, home education is is really a a very much a first generation thing here in, in the UK. Uh, so everything that we, as a nation, have taken on with regards to homeschooling has come from the states. So I, um, I spent a year after graduating from the university, spent a year in the states at Bible College, and that. So I, I'm, I was in my early twenties, wasn't married. I first came across homeschoolers. Um, there was a centre I visited that supported homeschoolers, I guess a bit like a charter school, and they did drama and music and art. And I didn't, I didn't even know it was a thing. I didn't know it was something people did. I, um, I got to know some homeschooling families, I was quite fascinated by the concept. And I think there was a seed, you know, when you kind of really um, map things back, you remember the first moment of something kind of going ping, that was a great idea. So then, you know, move on to being married, had uh, my eldest daughter, and Dave and I have not really talked about it. We talked about a lot of things about vision and future, but we've not really spoken about education because we'd always known normal state education in the, mm-hmm. in the school system, and we didn't have friends who homeschooled. We, we didn't know anybody at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, and I can still remember the day, I remember Naya dressed in and they dressed them in little uniforms from a very early age here in england uh, so she had this little red jumper on she must have been 4 4 years old i was taking her to like a, a kindergarten a preschool nursery she had a little uniform a little book bag and i'm walking her down the road down the street and I, this thought just went through my head i didn't want to do this this is not what i ever set out to do and that thought kind of took root which then triggered conversations with my husband she was enrolled in this preschool program i was saying I, I don't this is not our future i don't want to do this so we actually took 2 years mm-hmm. to come to this the right decision uh, and i really feel for people at the moment actually because they are being thrown that like you just said they are being thrown into this okay we've got to do something different here we really had this time to Process and research and pray and and to tell you the truth, I would have run ahead and just gone for it because I'm like, I am there, I am Mm -hmm. like going to be the homeschool mama. Whereas Dave was like, hold on, I have a million questions and they all need to be answered. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, right. So, but do you know what? That journey was so important for us. That time was so important. So Naya ended up doing a year in the. I guess you guys would call it kindergarten I think it's Mm -hmm. that same year and then she did a reception year that maybe anyway she was very young she did the first two years of the, the school system here my uh oldest son did a nursery year but he was never registered in formal school and then we began our homeschool journey so she kind of she kind of learned to read she had the beginnings, but everything else, you know, I, I took everybody else on from then. Mm. Uh, so we actually officially started home educating as I, like, weeks after I gave birth to my third child, like you do. Oh um <laughs> for <a> Kind of baby in arms, like notebooks in the other, just breastfeeding and teaching reading, and just the whole. And honestly, we haven't looked back since. So, oh, what we found was that the home education movement was just beginning to grow here in the UK. We knew two other families and we spent a lot of time with them and tried to get to know lots of things. But over the course of the past, you know, uh, 14, 15 years, as we as we were researching, um, there are huge communities all across the UK. It's grown and grown and grown. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that really is our homeschooling story. From from with regards to Charlotte Mason, my friend Charlotte, she I do talk about like she's a friend now. We've been together a long time. <laughs> she came a parent before we started homeschooling, and I was reading about it, so I was researching, and as I say she had really been i mean the right word probably is resurrected by the american homeschooling community so she was um uh she i mean i want to say she was british her her origin is actually irish very very like baby oh, okay. origin but now, most thought, people would say
0: yeah yeah I she was british
1: yeah so most people would say british she is known for living in the lake district and living in ambleside but that was only uh, in the last half of her life from when she was in her fifties. So she'd lived around the country and worked around the country and was only in Ireland as a baby. Um, so that's why really, but her nationality would be her, you know, her background is definitely Irish. So but she's from these parts, as it were. Mm-hmm. And really her, yeah, I think the home educating movement in the especially in the sort of seventies and eighties. I mean, amazingly, rediscovered her findings and brought them back to life. So even things like reprinting her volumes of books, Mm -hmm. going into the archives, people working so hard to find the historic notebooks and the you know the original writings and the Parents Review magazines and those people who know more about Charlotte Mason will recognise all these terms Mm -hmm. and brought it back to the surface of what home education looks like today and I think here in the UK we're still grasping her back really we're still establishing her roots back here again and because we've got a growing movement here um, you know I, I fortunately have been able and privileged really to be a part of that developing more here um, so that's that's. so I, I read about her years and years and years ago way back before we even started homeschooling fell in love with the concept, fell in love with her philosophy and the methodology that came within that. And just, I just felt at home. I mean, a lot of people will say that, like you read it and you feel at home. It's not a curriculum, it's not a how-to, it is a foundation to a way of life. And and it's just, um, you know, we've been able to take flight in education because of
0: it. Mm -hmm. That's amazing, Leah. For our listeners, there are going to be many people that don't even know who Charlotte Mason is. Sure. I have done somewhat of a deep dive into some of her books. I have not gotten through all of them yet. They are quite hearty, and I find mm-hmm. myself I need a quiet space to really focus in. She's a brilliant writer, and her vocabulary is incredible, but it does take time. To process the true meaning. And I find myself thinking she really had such an incredible vision of what Mm. she thought education should be. And it was such a big picture as well as giving examples as well. Sure. If you were teaching a college course, you know, Charlotte Mason 100, (laughs) what do you think? (laughs) What do you think? I kind of do. So. <laughs> oh, oh, I bet you do, Leah. I, bet you do. I mean, I'm learning from you from your podcast as well. Um, what would be kind of the foundational basis that you would want to share with people of Charlotte Mason's philosophies? Uh, so,
1: so one philosophy, obviously, it's just one philosophy, mm-hmm. um, but she has 20. Um, 20 principles and they'd be the thing I'd definitely recommend people to look at and within those 20 principles there are two that I would draw out and say along with many other readers of her work uh, probably the most the two most important ones and one is the first thing she said was children are born persons and and that principle underhinges everything else she says so throughout her six and just to say Jenna I took years to read her whole volumes of work because, yeah. (laughs) It's a
0: bit overwhelming
1: sometimes. And I I do not recommend rushing through them. I don't recommend, because I think otherwise they are overwhelming. People pick them up and put them down. And then you see them for sale because people have given up on them. Mm -hmm. I deliberately say to people, take your time, take one a year and take notes and do what she says, like put it into action. Um, I think otherwise they're just, you know, it, it, it's just another book. And they're not, you know, so they all play a different role. Some are very much about parenting and character, and some are more directly about the academics. Volume one, volume six, they're about education. Um, and so, so, children are born persons was pivotal to everything she said because the whole notion of how we view our children and what they're capable of. So, she was a woman of faith. Um, and she, you know, that whole belief came from God created these, these children, these human beings, and they are created whole. So they come into the world. We hold them in our arms. Uh, they're not empty vessels that we need to suddenly fill and make into something that we want. Uh, God has already fulfilled all that. And we're holding these babies, these children in our arms who our job is to create, put them in the right environment, surround them with the right stimulus that would bring out the best of who they are. So she talks about the will and the way. She talks about them being capable for good and evil. So so the job is that the role of the, the parent, the educator is to put them in a place where they can, draw upon the good, the good thinkers, the, the best thinkers, the best, the, the best books, and I we can go into all that. So so what I always, the starting place I always say for people is how do you view children? You know, are you using words like I'm molding them, I'm shaping them, I'm, you know, you, you have this image of like chipping blocks off them, but that's not actually, our, and, and you hear that kind of language in parenting um, and in education. But actually it's a paradigm shift when you come to the Charlotte Mason philosophy. She says, okay, here's it, it's about bringing out what's in, in the, already in the outside to the outside. And you, they almost reveal their character and their personality to them. And it's a real privileged role because you're walking alongside and um, yeah, just seeing these children develop. The second thing she said, uh, oh, the second most important principle um, in my humble opinion mm-hmm. uh, would be that education is the science of relations so she talks about education in the way of relationship mm-hmm. so again this is so key and if you think about traditional education you know sit down with a worksheet or tick through that list and get through that box and um, you know get a box curriculum and get through it all in nine months but she said it's about relationship. It's about relationship with God, it's about relationship with the readers and thinkers and creators and composers and artists that you're exposing your children to. And then it's also the relationship with all those things together. So she talked about connections in education, a child suddenly realizing um, you know, that a, a poem that they hear sounds a little bit like a story they just read or a character from the Bible is a bit like a Greek hero. Um, so really, how we view the child and how we view education, you can't really build upon the Charlotte Mason philosophy unless you have those two things in place. They would be like the cornerstones of the building blocks. So, you know, I, have, and I say this over and over again in all my writing and speaking and everything that I do is that you can't just buy a curriculum and say it's Charlotte Mason or I'm doing Charlotte Mason. I've spent years and years <laughs> unpicking this. And the the more you unpick it, and you'll find this, Jenna, when you're reading, the simpler it becomes. So you're reading it and saying, this is massive concepts, and it's very deep, and it is. But in my experience now, all these years on, it's actually really simple and really beautiful, and it's about the child and their relationship with the world. And if we put certain things in place, they will just be able to become who they are, which I, I do believe is what God's created mm. you know, intention for children. Absolutely.
0: So, Absolutely. Yeah. What Leah, what could you share with our listeners kind of what the rhythms of your day when you were home educating kind of look like? Sure. Um, obviously during COVID times
1: for all of us it's been slightly (laughs) different the whole year has been crazy and Mm -hmm. uh, thrown everybody off their rhythm and Mm -hmm. it was interesting because even though we are normally at home and normally uh, a lot of our rhythms are at home we also work in community and we also have groups every week and we Mm -hmm. go out to groups and um, I think a lot of people who suddenly were schooling their kids at home said um oh you must feel quite smug now I said, not at all. You have got a lot of work cut out for you. <laughs> you know, I'm already established in this stuff, but also not so smug, but even sad that we'd lost all our community. So, yeah. so, but our normal rhythms, we've had some things that we set in place and we, ha- we have been doing the same thing for many, many years. And a lot of that is around, um, so rhythm is really important. I I've often done very tight scheduling and timetabling, but actually, the most natural thing for our family is rhythm. So we begin our day together. We even have we you know breakfast around the table, and uh, with the children, husbands are generally at work by then. But with the children, and that also there'll be books on the table, then there'll be a morning rhythm to what we read together.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: if you are delving into the homeschooling um, uh, conversations, you may hear this described as morning basket or morning time, morning gathering. That is not a Charlotte Mason thing. Uh, it's, it's just a thing. <laughs> I think it's just a natural, when you've got kids, get some food on the table and they will come. That's great. Um, that's great. And if they're there, put some books out. That's so right. then we would read, you know, we read the Bible together. We read a poem. We, that's when we listen to maybe a piece of classical music while we're just kind of milling in the kitchen or um, uh, listen to a piece of Shakespeare that we've got recorded on our, my phone. We would read a short story or a fable, so there is a rhythm to that gathering. And then um, over the years, it has been it's been quite different with the different ages of children and who I school together, and it has changed. But that morning gathering happens no matter what, mm-hmm. so we start in the same place, and then we kind of evolve throughout the day. So then the children I work with the younger two together, and the older two will, would used to um, do their independent work. or I'd work, you know, flip that around. There'd be seasons where um, when the children were very young, I would have rest time, which is like my recovery time in the day. Yeah, you rest, mama gets a cup of coffee, you all kind of sit quietly for half an hour. But the general rhythm of the day is we, we, you know, we do our homeschool rhythm up until lunchtime. If we haven't wrapped up everything, we will go on till after lunch. And then the afternoons are for personal activities, maybe some kind of art stuff walking groups so um yeah and then my personal kind of around around the hinges or around the fringes of that are I always get up earlier than the children's but I get some time in the morning and then um they're getting older now so they're getting to, going to bed later and later so that evening is creeping you know uh-huh. But in the morning no one's interested in Getting up early, that's my <laughs> yeah. So, some things you know, I think I think I you learn to be flexible, you learn to um bend with the changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are some things, so we will go, we'll take a six week break over the summer mm-hmm. and then we'll immediately snap back into that morning rhythm and then we go back into you know where everything is. So, you can tell it has uh embedded in us that rhythm is is so key uh, and, and a lot more flexible than tight timetables uh-huh. and schedules I mean Ab- you can do both but
0: absolutely absolutely you know Charlotte isn't no longer with us obviously but she I isn't really, there. I really wonder what do you think if she was sitting at a school board table meeting today and everybody's talking about what to do for the fall and that many public schools are going virtual and how to educate our children what do you think she would say? Uh, UK or USA? Either, <laughs> or, either <laughs>
1: Uh It's very different. It's very yeah, different. Yeah. Although I think if she was looking at the school system, I think she would probably cry mm-hmm. uh, and say, where did all my work go? I uh-huh. think if she was sat with a group of parents mm-hmm. who were suddenly given this time with their children, she would talk about living books. Mm -hmm. um she would talk about um being outside as much as you can engaging with the natural surroundings even if that's just a window box or a bird feeder hanging from a balcony of an apartment she would talk about the importance of connecting with the outside world with nature um and and that wasn't just to be airy-fairy and romantic that was to really um you know she she wanted children to connect with their creator and that was a big part of why she said that she thought it was good for their health <laughs> mm-hmm. but she also saw it as a foundation for science and research all the foundations are found in that mm-hmm. so I think she would talk about that and she would certainly she would talk about living books about getting these ideas from not dry textbooks. And she would say, put those away, you know, read stories, read beautiful poetry, listen to it. And she would probably just encourage parents to do that.
0: Absolutely. I had not heard the term living books until I started doing a deep dive um, into her work, living books, living literature. Could you break that down to our listeners? What does that mean?
1: yeah I mean the great the best way to look at it it, it's not a textbook that's Mm -hmm. the first kind of yeah So if you look at a textbook a textbook spoon feeds information Mm -hmm. and kind of requires comprehension so it will tell you say if it's say if it's a a textbook about I don't know volcanoes Mm -hmm. it would describe it would give you this fact list and and like what how high up it is in the world sphere and what country it's in and then you might get a few questions very very specific questions at the end about the information you've just read which is a list of facts that would be on the one end of the scale of what it's not so it, to go to the other end of the scale what a living book is would be um, a, 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 a story driven narrative driven way of um, presenting the same idea. So if you wanted to children to learn about volcanoes, you would, they would read a story of a little boy who lived in the foothills of a volcano. And mm. every day he wondered, is it going to be today when it erupts? And, mm. and it would talk about the country and there would be images of the food they're eating and descriptions of the day. And really the things you're looking for when you open a book, so, I do this thing called a one or two page test. So if you go into a used bookstore and you're thinking, "Is this a living book?" Mm-hmm. Um, you, you open the book, I always read one or two pages, and you know is the is there generally it's got the best living books have one author. so if you look at textbooks, they've often got oh. like six authors. So have you got one passionate author? Is there one author, when you read it, does it feel like the author is excited about what they're writing about? Mm. Uh, Do you want to read on? Do you want to turn the page? That's another really good way of learning about it. Um, Yeah. And another great thing is if you, if you read those two pages and close the book, could you tell the person next to you, not word for word, not parrot fashion, but could you relay what you've just read? Mm-hmm. and that again is a, is a good sign of something that has interested you It's sparked your brain it's kind of giving you a few ideas and then you say it back and and that's what she would call narration um so I mean it's just a few I mean there's so much to unpick with a living book but I mean you know there are met thousands and thousands of fans and people are still writing them uh they wouldn't know they are but mm-hmm. they are these uh, these beautiful ideas that are presented in a way that is, um, yeah, that just reads in a more narrative form. And once you, Charlotte Mason talked about this learning to discern for ourselves what a living book is. So I think many people, um, many people when they first kind of get introduced to the Charlotte Mason philosophy, will go online, they'll type Charlotte Mason in, and then certain things come up, certain websites. Are the go-to's which can be scary because they're like whoa i'm mm-hmm. supposed to do that yeah but you just gotta go down the list and look at the small look, look at the conversations that are going on look at the small the, the blogs that a mom has just kind of pulled together mm-hmm. and it's i would just the beginnings are you can you can look at book lists and, and look at recommended book lists especially in the different parts of the world it's important but the most powerful thing for me has been learning how to discern that for myself, to be able to go into a bookstore and open it up um, and, and try that, or even have a local, have a, a group of mums who are together who you can talk about what books and resources you're using. So we have a, we have a Facebook group in the UK. It's got about, it's got about one and a half thousand women on there who, and we talk about books all the time. Like, what are you using for this? What, have you got a living book about this? And um, so sharing those recommendations. Um, and the, the more you read, the more you learn, the more yeah. you learn how to discern what one is.
0: Absolutely. As we talk about living books and beautiful literature, how did you um, cultivate a love for reading in your children? That is just a, just a side note. So I have one child that is an avid reader loves reading and i have another child that she'll sit and read a little bit um but hasn't quite found that spark with reading
1: yeah and i i mean i i don't know if i uh i i've done i don't know if i have been the sole um you know person who has done that for them i think my kids have been surrounded by other influencers as well who who are readers um so out of my four. Uh, two are avid rea- our avid re- readers, and always reading. One is an older teenage boy who's just mm. not into it right now. Yeah. He has read a few books. He's read a couple of books during lockdown, and he- and I was quite pleased to hear that. Uh-huh. Uh, and then my youngest is just cultivating that. So we do a lot of reading together still. Mm. Uh, she is reading, but we're reading together. So, so I think those things. I think even. um Even though you could spend a whole lifetime reading to your children and being around books all the time, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be like you or what you you know expectations are a big thing here (laughs) so but I would say I mean the things we my husband and I both read and we are you know they see us reading and enjoy reading Mm -hmm. so um, I think in this day and age kids often see their parents in front of their phones more than a book Mm -hmm. Uh, we do both (laughs) we have both in our hands at times but we are both want to make sure they're seeing us enjoying literature Uh, we have a lot of books in the house. It's, um, we generally buy them all secondhand, but it's, uh, it's something that is a value in our home. Reading is a value. So they know that because of what we, you know, what you talk about, what you put your money into shows a value in the home. So we have books around from a home educating point of view. I read to them every day, even when they were getting into their early teens, we would have a read aloud that I still read with them. So we still enjoyed those words together and reading together and um and we're around readers I try and make sure that you know that we're around that and then you know Christmas and birthdays whatever else is mixed in there we try and sneak a book in as well <laughs> Absolutely. so and I think and I think as well with the you know the the kind of books in the house and you want them to experience great literature stuff that is fun stuff that is applicable for their age and stage as well and the culture that you're in um so I just think this, this whole idea that Charlotte Mason taught this about the feast uh, the feast doesn't have to be a big gorge of a banquet as soon as they're five years old it can start like a like a, a charcuterie board you know a small splattering of different kinds of things and it grows over the years and I think that's what's lovely is that you can develop their palate for reading um, as they grow older so uh, you know my older teenage girl I'll just sort of recommend a book or I think you'd love this just like she does with her music and she recommends it to me
0: <laughs> kind yeah. of, oh that's brunching. so, fun. Um, that's
1: so yeah. fun so and that, you know they've gone through I mean my oldest is is um she's in her final year of sixth form so she's in a she's in a an academy um she's not been at home for two years um mm-hmm. And she she is doing a different form of education, so she hasn't had the time for sort of the same kind of reading. Um, but over the over the lockdown, and school looking a little bit different, she's picked up books again. And that was so encouraging to see. Um, okay, it's still there. And I know, do you know what? I don't know what you were like as a child. I mean, I read, I read a lot when I was a child. I used to, the kind of books, they're okay. My parents didn't let me read Sweet Dreams books. I remember that. <laughs> we read, I kind of read adventure books and all this kind of stuff. Um, but there were years, I know, that I kind of froze on my, mm-hmm. I just stunted. I guess, paused in my love for reading. And now I just adore it. And I, you know, so I think there's always hope for our children, even if people are listening and they're thinking, I could never get my kids to read.
0: Yeah.
1: Don't give up hope. You never yeah. know.
0: Absolutely. Would you recommend, um, I think reading out loud to children is so important as well. What yeah. were some of your favorite books that your kids connected to that you read out loud as a family?
1: Um, oh, goodness, there's so many, <laughs> so many. I think the very, very beginning stages, they loved um, E.B. White books. They were always a hit with all my children's so Charlotte's Trumpet of the Swan, Stuart Little wasn't so popular. Um, I'm trying to think. We love books like um, Cricket in Times Square. I don't know if you've read that one. We just read this year. We we read a trilogy. I'm, I'm uh, just glancing across at one of my yeah. bookshelves to see if I can read it from here. We read this trilogy, which started off about the Irish Potato Famine and then it focuses on one particular family and then one of the daughters takes the um, voyage across from Ireland to the USA. And then it's about like their life in the USA, after the potato family. And there are um, three books, we adored those. I mean, from a story point of view and historic context, um, they were brilliant, we've loved those. Um, I'm trying to think, I mean, we just read so much. We have, I'm, I'm glancing through our bookshelves, I mean, everything really from you know c.s lewis narnia Mm -hmm. series they were always they were always loved and cherished and i do try and look for i do try and check out modern authors and what's coming out we just finished um a a really fun book it's probably a bit young for my children but we're just continuing called the wild robot oh i haven't seen that and um is it by peter brown that I'm just for the sake of the listeners I'm just showing it to Jenna on the screen <laughs> but, yeah. um, well, there's, so there's this one and there's a follow-up one There's another one afterwards and this was really it's it's probably great I would say um, even for like children five six seven you know they could read it themselves if they're avid readers I mean we read it aloud because we've seen it recommended um, so even though it feels like the chapters are super short and it feels a bit younger than we'd normally read but the storyline is so fun so we try lots of different things. I will go on recommendations. And the cool thing about, um, I know there are many places you can buy shop buy books, but it, on Amazon, often when you buy a book, it will say at the bottom, um, other people who bought this book also bought. Mm-hmm. And you can like look at the recommendations. Yes. So I, I always find those super helpful. Yeah. yeah.
0: My It's so fun. My oldest is just starting to get into, she read the first Narnia book, which I'm excited oh, about. Yeah. And she is just about a quarter of the way through *Anna Green Gables*, which that was oh, my lovely. favorite book as a yes. kid growing up. Um, yeah. Although she has had to stop and say, "What does this word mean?"
1: <laughs> right sure. in yeah. that oh,
0: book. I'm like, just a sec. I need to look it up too. So <laughs> yeah. it's been fun, fun. Yeah. We,
1: we always enjoyed things like *The Little House* and the Prairie series, yeah. and that they were always great as well there's yep. so many wonderful books yeah and, and you know as I say some of the modern writers there's uh, I'm trying to think there's some about the one about the rabbits um the green quite amber. again quite green ember that's green quite amber. popular a one isn't it yeah, yeah. It's so good there's, it's just there is no um you know there's plenty of adventure for children to be reading about and that's the wonderful thing Charlotte Mason talks about children taking journeys in books through books and meeting these characters and connecting with them and um engaging in a different place and I love that you know if we're not able to I've been thinking more and more about this during this whole time of COVID-19 and people being locked in their homes or in their towns. Mm-hmm. is that actually we can't travel we can't go far but we can and to be able to read incredible stories of places around the world and feel like you're there is such a wonderful tool that we can, you know, a gift that we can give our children.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. To close today, Leah, thank you so much for being here. Today. Oh, my pleasure. Our listeners. Is there any advice that you would leave our listeners with today?
1: Um, I think, you know, for motherhood or, even, or or home educating, wherever you're at today, I think it's so important to do your journey um I think you know 18 years on in my motherhood journey I've realized that yes there are things I would do differently yes there are things I might change but actually they have made me who I am and the things that were difficult and hard and desperately trying to read things and fix things and find out how do other people do it. And we, you know, we live in this socially connected world where we want to look for answers on the internet and on Instagram and help me fix this, but we have to do our journey. And, um, you know, I think mothers are incredible and they are the best, people to do their job with of raising their children and i think believing in that believing you're the best mom for your kids and god gives us the wisdom that we need for every day and i'm um, just taking it day at a time but yeah do your journey it's so important and it strengthens who you are definitely i can say that as, as a mother of all the teenagers now uh i've got the scars to show <laughs> but <laughs>
0: It's worth it, it's all worth it.
1: <laughs> I
0: love that. I love that. And Leah, where can our listeners find you at?
1: Sure, so um, I'm, I'm quite simple Leah, Bo- Leah Bowden. I think if you type that in Instagram, Facebook, all over the place, you'll find me. LeahBowden.com is my website. Um, it's all pretty much connected. If you specifically want to hear me talk more about the Charlotte Mason philosophy, uh, again just say just Leah Bowden will find it but Modern Miss Mason is my um, kind of pseudo name for all that and I do I do have a course called the Charlotte Mason and Box course uh, which helps people it's not a curriculum it's just to help people get to grasps with with the philosophy and find their freedom with it so yeah Modern Miss Mason or Leah Bowden on all the socials.
0: And that course Leah is that virtual? so people
1: yeah it's online yeah it's it's available all the time
0: yeah so it's just a course craft course you just sign
1: up it's um dead easy it's a bargain as well in fact i've got a deal at the moment so you have to look on my sites for all that but yeah you go on and you take your time it's a lifetime membership so you just sign up once and there are videos there's stuff to read there's stuff to interact with you can even talk to the people if you want on there um there's um like mini podcasts from me on there and then I also add to it as well every year I add compartments to it um but once you signed up you get all that for free so it's just my way of putting everything in one place to help people find and my tagline is you know this has always been I want to help people find their freedom within the Charlotte Mason philosophy Mm -hmm. so you won't see me selling curriculum or anything Mm -hmm. like that but you will find me offering support and being the best cheerleader I can possibly be.
0: (laughs) And I think it's so important too, for many of us that are just trying to navigate what our journey is going to look like in this next year and years to come to look to people that have been doing it and that do have wisdom and good advice. And I'm just grateful that you'll be able to share that with our listeners as well.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: Thank you so much for being here today, Leah, and sharing your wisdom and heart. And I know a lot of our listeners will appreciate it. So I hope you and your family have a beautiful rest of your week and weekend and are able to enjoy the outdoors.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.